I just think Dave looks awesome because he's doing a podcast in a sauna. <laughs> it looks like it, right? It's uh, <laughs> this is funny. I have this really old house. Uh, I'm the I'm the sixth veterinarian to live in this house. Wow! And yeah, totally crazy story. And they have this office, and this office probably has not changed for you know 50 years, maybe more. And they have this like super old, weird paneling. But I actually feels like I got to open the window because it kind of feels like a sauna in here right now. Um, so. well, I actually live in a sauna. I live in a little hut at the moment in the middle of a swamp. I feel like Shrek is going to come through that window at some time. Are you like uh, living like Thoreau? Like, uh, has Thoreau made it to your side of the world? Do you guys, are you familiar with Henry David Thoreau? No, no. That's is crazy. A... He's an American, a classic American author, probably one of the most well-known American authors uh, from back in the 1800s. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Walden, Walden Pond. So that's a Walden. Yeah, 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 gotcha. yeah. He's a hero of mine. That's what, my middle son is named after him. So. Oh. Really? Yeah. How old are your kids? Three boys, yeah? Three boys. We've been making boys since 2005. I've got three boys as well. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. How, how old are your boys? <laughs> uh, I've got 10 and 8 and a 3-year-old. 10, 8, and 3. All right, we got 16, 13, and 10. So we're a little, a little bit shifted up. Similar spread, you're a bit ahead of me. Three years yeah. in between. Did you find a three three years is a good enough time frame? Or? Yeah, like the difference between them? Yeah, I think it's I think it's just right. They're like best friends. They're, the three of them together are like best friends. Um, but, you know, I mean, the teenage boys smell. Um, they're, <laughs> they're gross. They're dirty. But they're fun. You know, they, they get... You know, get sweaty, have fun. They're nerds. Uh, we play Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering together. We're, you know, it's a very uh, fun crew. That would be cool. I love that uh, stuff. Should we jump in? Uh, otherwise, we'll just talk rubbish all day. Seriously, what the hell? You guys are like, stop talking so much and just and record, record the stupid podcast. Highly professional. Okay. I'm Gerardo Poli. I'm Hubert Hemstra. And this is the Vet Vault. Imagine a world where vets and their team members are bubbling with excitement about their job, where they go on about how great their clients are, because, well, the clients are great, and they talk about how good their pay is and about how very fulfilling their careers are. Can't do it? Don't worry. Our guest for this episode has been imagining exactly this, and if the buzz out there about veg is anything to go by, then him and his team of veggies may well have found a way to make this a reality. Now, if you don't know what veg is and who the veggies are, then you clearly don't work in the US and you never look at social media and you should probably get out more. But let me catch you up. Veg, or Veterinary Emergency Group, is a US-based group of, at the time of recording in late 2021, 27 emergency-only vet hospitals. The veggies are the slightly cultish humans who work there and our guest, Dr. David Bessler, is the guy who started it all. Dr. David Bessler is the CEO and co-founder of VEG. He's been a career emergency veterinarian since 2003. He's worked with reptiles at the Bronx Zoo, teaches veterinary science to elementary school children at the American Museum of Natural History, and has even been featured on the one and only Sesame Street. And, as you'll hear, he's a man with a very clear vision. So, who is this episode for? Well, everyone. Whether you're a vet or a veg or a nurse or even a veterinary student, basically anyone attached to a vet business, there are some things in here that you need to hear. If you're a vet business owner, well then this is definitely for you. Join us as we veg with Bessler 
on topics like why mission, vision, and core values are so much more than just corporate speak. How a clinic can do shit for free, yet pay well, and still be profitable. Why you may be on the wrong island. Why the spiritual side of your job is critical for career happiness, and, well, so much more. Just listen to it already. Please enjoy Dr. David Bessler. But before I let you go, you know that I'm going to remind you about our subscriber-exclusive series of clinical podcasts. Go to vvn.supercast.com to get the details about what I believe is the most useful ongoing clinical learning out there in smallest medicine, surgery, and ECC. Dr. David Bessler, welcome to the VetVal. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I've been researching you and listening to you. You've been on quite a few podcasts and you've been interviewed quite a bit, which adds a bit of pressure because now I've got to find a different angle and, uh, and and keep it interesting for you. But the one that most intimidates me, the interviewer that's interviewed you, was on Sesame Street. And that was some good interviewing skills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Murray Monster is a tough act to follow. I know. He's, um, he's good. I'm going to try and emulate his style more he, he talked a lot less about the what you do and he was a lot more about the how and the why so that's that's going to be our interview model let's go the, the how and the why and let's dig into it yeah sounds like a plan so instead of rehashing because of the stuff i've read about you and that's been talked about on podcasts is what veg does differently and there's quite a bit of things i mean it's definitely you've made some waves in the veterinary world globally it's reached all the way to australia we all hear about veg and what's changing but i'm going to summarize a few of the key things that that i think that's different and then you can just say yeah that's that's accurate so the first thing probably that i come across is the the open hospital model where there's no as you say there's no back to the hospitals you, you call it the back because there's no back people come straight through straight in no clipboard no paperwork initially you get taken to the back and you get seen by a veterinarian straight away. When you call with a problem, you speak to a vet, you don't, it's not a, a receptionist who says, well, I don't really know, just come down. What I gather from your, well, the, the main thing that I see is the excitement by your team members and from your team members about where they work. That's unheard of. People are just, they talk about work like it's such a great place. So we want to definitely dig into that. Pay is good. That's the, uh, the word on the street is that veg team members get paid really well. We've got to go into that. Probably those are the, the key things that jump out to me. Am I missing anything, David? Or is that, is that what differentiates you guys? Uh, no, I think you hit on, on all the key points really well. Um, and, I, you know, I think, I think you're kind of out of luck. There are really no other angles here. Uh, that's it. They've all been explored, so we're done. Yeah. <laughs> right. We didn't have to listen to him for an hour. Um, no, they, the, all those, all those are accurate. And, um, uh, I think that's, you know, you, the, the one thing that you missed there that I think is really our, the key to our secret sauce is our first spike. Um, we call them our spikes. We can go into that another time, but those are kind of seven, seven commandments, if you will, for the way we do our jobs, but also it's kind of our mission, which is helping people and their pets when they need it most. That first spike is all we do is emergency. And that is the key to everything else. So that's your team's particular niche within the profession. That's the way that they add value to the clients. And they like, they, it's so niche and small that they can grasp that. Not just that they can grasp it. We, you know, I'll point to my shirt here so you people can, can't see, but they can hear. So, you know, we, we like to say emergency is our middle name. We're veterinary emergency group. Emergency is our middle name. 
Uh, it's all we do. And so we do it better than anybody else. It's that intense focus that allows us to do it better than anybody else. That's number one. The reason why everybody loves coming to work is because we're a company that's all about you. If you're an emergency professional, you see yourself as an emergency vet or an emergency nurse or a veterinary emergency professional, we're a company that's all about you. You're not working emergency in a specialty business or emergency in a general practice business. You're working emergency in an emergency business. And then customers come to us. We call them customers. Customers come to us. Preferentially, we say people pass by bigger and fancier places to come to us because of the way we'll treat them. But that is because all we do is emergency. And so if you walk into a building that is designed for ophthalmologists and oncologists and dermatologists, radiologists and general practice, you're not going to have a great emergency experience. Just like, you know, your, your best shoe buying experience. Well, I don't know if you know, if your audience knows Target. Do you guys have Target? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, you know, Target sells shoes. You're not going to have the best shoe buying experience at Target. You walk in and there's, you know, there's groceries, there's clothing, there's hardware. And so if you want to have the best focused experience in anything, you're going to go into a company that is about that thing. It's all they do. So they do it best. Everything stems from that. Is it, they do it, they do it best because they're run by emergency vets. You have emergency at heart and understand the emergency, not necessarily run by specialist surgeons okay for specialist surgeons who are listening to this you have incredible value to but but then it's like these all the specialties who may own the business who then put a vet at night and then say they're delivering an emergency but then what they're potentially that vet is delivering is some aspect of triage but then not really being able to do the things that they really think needs to be done so the freedom to do emergency the way that emergency needs to be done or should be done for pets yeah I think that the uh, we have the freedom to do what we do in the best way possible. We don't have to bend to the needs of other things that are going on inside our business. And so, um, hey, it's time to check my COVID test. Uh, <laughs> Go for it. I'm assuming Whoa. you can edit that out, but there we go. No, uh, perfect. Control there you go. We're negative. It's a, Good. I will negative. It, it says that there's no sample. I think you have to do it again, mate. So, uh, no. <laughs> um, so did you learn that the hard way? Did you learn that the hard way through the first practice you bought, and then the challenges of like, you know, butting heads and trying to stand up for emergency, what emergency needs to be done, and then you like stuff it. We're just going to do our own thing, or what was what, what was that trigger? What was the thing that made you realize that? Yeah. I learned that the hard way through going through the typical emergency experiences at other companies. Um, I worked for specialty hospitals, ran the emergency service in specialty hospitals. And, you know, the experience for pet owners was affected in not a great way by all the other components of that specialty business. So, for example, first of all, people would come in. I was in a, a practice, it was in, in New York City. And there are two floors. There's the, the appointment rooms and reception desk upstairs on the top floor. And then there's what we used to call the stairmaster, right? Just a bunch of stairs down, you know, downstairs where all the clinical space was. So you come running in with your emergency. And uh, first thing you do is you hit an elevator or two flights of stairs before you can get to a place where the emergency care can be provided. And so uh, that's number one. And, you know, number two, you have well, you know, we're going to admit you, which service you're going to be transferred to tomorrow. You know, this service wants us to handle your emergency like this. Yeah. 
you know, don't review the CBC with them overnight. Um, you know, internal medicine has to review the CBC with them and, you know, and charge for it or, you know, whatever kind of weird things that have nothing to do with your emergency and what you want. That's why part of our vision is people pass by bigger and fancier hospitals to come to us because we'll treat them and their pet the way they want. We first start off like what makes sense for customers, what makes sense for their pets. Uh, that's that's kind of where we start. And if your business is not completely dedicated to one experience, then the experience is going to suffer. Yeah, it's a it's a culture thing as well, isn't it? I, I'm a big fan of Seth Godin, uh, all of his writing and his podcasts, and and he talks about culture being. He summarizes it as people like us do things like this. And you guys are so clear on this is what we do. Yeah, I'm going to write that down. That's that's amazing. People like us uh, do things like this. That's that's the key. And that's that we're all about culture. And, and that's something that we're just a whole bunch of emergency people that came together to do emergency really, really well. You mentioned the first spike, David. Uh, what are the other spikes? So the first spike is all we do is emergency. The second is you can call and speak with a doctor. The third is you'll see a doctor right away. The fourth is we keep you and your pet together. The fifth is we sit on the floor. The sixth is we find a way to say yes. And the seventh is we collaborate with your family vet. Those are the seven spikes. We figure if we can get those things right every time, then we'll be doing a great job. I like those a lot. The, the, the sitting on the floor thing is such a useful thing, isn't it? I, I've learned that over a 20-year period, but I'm mostly on the floor. Except my knees don't, yeah. don't take kindly to sitting on the floor anymore. <laughs> it's funny. People think sitting on the floor, they think it's kind of gimmicky. But they don't realize that is actually one of the most representative spikes, meaning it represents our um, core values, our way of thinking. Our core values, also, we're, we're very, we are legitimately very mission and value driven. Our company is completely about these things. They're not just um, lip service. Our core values are openness, as you can see, togetherness, heroic helping and meaningful moments. The sitting on the floor thing, when you think about it, we've revolutionized emergency. We threw out everything, the way you practiced emergency in the past, all the things that were kind of normal to you, if you've worked at an emergency hospital or worked in an emergency service, or you've been to an emergency vet, all the things that are normal to you, we just throw those out the window and reevaluate them uh, in, with a new lens of how should emergency be if we were inventing it today. And so we like to say, like, you know, whose idea were these metal tables anyway? Right. So imagine if you went to the doctor in emergency, you're scared out of your mind because you don't know if you're going to die. And the first thing they do is they put you 40 feet in the air on a metal platform in your socks. <laughs> right. Where you, where you can't you don't have any grip. Right. Then they shine bright lights in your face and stick things up your ass. I hope so. I don't know if I can say that. Right. <laughs> you can say it. <laughs> and so that's that's what we do to pets. Right. Completely inconsiderate. And I don't mean like in a mean way. I just mean like we didn't consider yeah. their comfort mm. in any way, shape or form. It's simply our comfort. Why are you up on a table to save my back and or, or your knees? Uh, and so the first thing we do is we, you know, we start off on the floor. Is it the easiest? No. Can we do everything on the floor? Absolutely not. There are procedures we need to do up on a table, but we start off on the floor. Number one, we demonstrate to the pet that we're going to come down to their level. Maybe you think that's crazy that we're talking to pets. We don't. We treat pets like people. So we get down to their level, show them that we're willing to go down to their level where they're comfortable. They're used to being on the floor. We also make a great demonstration. We demonstrate what the relationship is here between us and the pet owners. We are here to serve you. We're here to make sure that your pet is comfortable. We're going to do things that are out of the ordinary. Expect us to not be normal. We are not normal. 
And so we start off on the floor. It says so many different things about veg. It's not just a gimmick. So it's a, I love that. I love all of those spikes. But it's, and now I want to get into the, to the house, to, the, to the, the Sesame Street type interview. You have these great ideas as a leader and they're revolutionary and they, they make a big difference. But now you have 27 or I, I can't keep count. How many hospitals have you got? 27, yeah, I've got it. This time. <laughs> Every time I listen to a podcast, it goes 10, 17, 27. <laughs> How do you communicate that to the team? And I, I, I assume the communication starts at the, at the employment, but how do you sustain it? How do you reinforce it and make sure that those spikes are lived out on a day-to-day basis and not fall by the wayside because I'm busy, because my back hurts? Because mm. of yeah. It's a great question. So we have a culture and the question is, how do you maintain the integrity of the culture? How do you make sure that the culture spreads as your community grows? Mm -hmm. And, you know, this has been done before. There are a lot of organizations or communities that have cultures that the cultures are maintained and grow as the community grows. We just choose not to apply the lessons we learn there to business. So for example, I was talking to somebody today who, uh, I don't, you probably don't know about Rotarians, Rotary Clubs. Maybe you do. Rotary Club? Yeah, yeah we, we have Rotary Clubs, yeah. It turns out we're the same. We're you Australians and we Americans. But um, so, you know, the Rotary Club has a culture. They have core values. They have a mission. They have people who believe in them. And they work hard to make sure that their culture stays intact as they grow. And they're all over the country. I think they started in, the, you know, like 1905. Uh, there are religions that do that. Uh, I had a religious upbringing. I'm not a particularly religious person, but I, I do love the rituals. I am traditional. I can't deny that, you know, my father, his father before him and his father and father fathers before him all did these traditions. I love that. I love connecting to that. But, you know, religions have sacred texts. The point of those sacred texts is somebody sat down one day and said, you know, OMG, if I don't write this stuff down, they're going to forget it or they're going to get it wrong. That's all a sacred text is. And so that's what we did. We have a something we call the manifesto. It's, it's, I don't know, it's probably 95 pages long. I think last I checked. And it's everything that we've come up with over the years that we said is like, wow, that's, you know, that's great. I want to make sure we don't lose that. Let's write it down. And we give it to everybody to read. It's a secret document. People sign a, you know, they sign a waiver. They're sworn to secrecy. But they, they read through it. Some people don't read through all of it. You know, just like uh, take any, you know, the, the Bible, the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita, yeah. whatever it is. Not you know, I'm sure every member of those communities of those religions haven't read the entire thing, but it's there. They can refer to it. They can browse through it. We have huddles at the beginning of our shifts where one of the things we do in that huddle, we have a manifesto moment. Somebody brings up some concept from the manifesto. A manifesto is not anything crazy. It's all basically a book on how to be a good person, how to get along with people, how to enjoy your job how to do emergency well. And, uh, you know, you have the manifesto moment, somebody brings up some part of the manifesto, maybe at random, and they just talk about what it means to them. And that's the way that you keep those things alive. We have the one pager that goes through our mission, our vision, our ethos, core values, the spikes. And uh, those things are very succinctly written, full of meaning. And so you can just read that one page and get a really good idea of what we're about. I mean, the, the real trick is not the real trick is, is actually to have a culture. Most people like talk about, you know, the company, does it have a good culture? When certain corporate company name here, and people ask, like, do they have a culture? Do they have a good culture? You know, 
you have like you have to have details of a culture. A culture has to be about something. It has to be full of things, rituals, style, dress, foods, language, history. All these things are part of a culture. I don't know what a culture is if you don't have a language, right? Social norms, you know, but I want to know like, what's AT&T's like dress? What are their rituals? What are their social norms? I, I don't I, I don't know. Do they have a culture? Veg has a culture. We have all those things. We have a language, our vegetabulary. We have dress. Everybody wears veg swag all the time. 90% of anybody's like laundry any week is just made up of veg swag. Their kids wear it. Their parents wear it. Um, we have foods. You know, we're an emergency business, 24 hours. Our kitchens are important. We have fridges that are stocked by, you know, we have Instacart delivered to our fridges every day. These things make up our culture. And so we have a rich culture. I've, can you go back a, a little bit, Dave? Yeah. So from what from what I understand, what I gather is from what you're saying there is that there is a, a centralized kind of uh, ideology, a centralized kind of like, you know, Bible, right? So the core values, the culture is set from the top and it's like, bam, like this is it. But then is there any individualization or do your, like the 25 hospitals have their own individual core values based on the culture within, because we have what, seven hospitals or something. And the culture is slightly different in different hospitals. So in a way, the, the core, the core values in our hospitals are different from the key organizational core values, but then it kind of can become a bit painful because it's like, as if we're not part of, a centralized organization or something. The identification with, with each other can sometimes actually be quite difficult. Do you, do you have, is it, is it core values of this, the seven, you know, the seven splacks of this, this is a 95 page thing Bible and that's it. And you focus on that. And then the hospitals don't have their own individual flavor. Yeah. The core values are core because they, they're core to everyone. They're actually hung in everybody's hospital. The spikes are there. They're for everyone. However, I have I recently just you know put out a video. It's actually part of the manifesto. There's, we believe in freedom. Most people know it as freedom within a framework. Our version of that, we call that cholent. Cholent is a, a Jewish dish that is, uh, it's like a stew made of beans, barley, meat, potatoes. Everybody has the same, it's the same recipe. It's the same recipe the world over. Hmm. Right. The world over, it's like pizza. Right. What is the recipe for pizza? It's, you know, dough, tomato sauce, cheese. And then someone puts a bit of salt. Someone someone puts a bit of like basil on it or something. Yeah. yeah. Some put big chunks of, of mozzarella on there. Right. Some people put, you know, the pepperoni, the Hawaiians. I don't really think the Hawaiians actually put ham and pineapple on their pizza. Maybe they do. <laughs> but, you know, there's there's that. There's, you know, the, some people do pizza without like white pizza without a sauce. If you make their pizza square. There are variations on a theme. The essence is still the same. It's the same for us. We have our core values. Now, here's an interesting thing. Values and core values are not the same. Core values are core to us. They are core. It's hard to say that you're a veg if you don't value openness, right? Just think about it, right? Openness in terms of having an open hospital where people go to that. But it's also openness to taking in any customer that comes in. We, you know, we, we, we accept you as you are. Um, DEI for us was not an issue. We accept people for who they are. For us, that's actually part of our part of our fabric is is an openness to all kinds of people, uh, open mindedness to different ideas, to to trying emergency in a different way. So it's hard to say that you're a veg if you're not into openness, togetherness. We're all about togetherness, keeping clients and their pets and our veggies together, 
is part of what we do. We have giant gatherings. We get in trouble for all the time. We're too loud. We're raucous. We're all together, all wearing kind of crazy coordinated shirts. We're about togetherness. It's core to who we are. Heroic helping. I mean, how do you do emergency without being heroic helpers? That's one of our core values. Meaningful moments. You know, we applaud when when we're discharging a, a patient after, you know, three, four, five days. Everybody lines up and applauds as they, they walk out. We create these kind of meaningful moments. We're all about that. Those are our core values. Now, I'll give you a great example. We had this debate that came up about uniforms. You know, what do veggies wear on the floor? And so some people came up with like, you know, we all have to kind of look the same. We have to look professional. And so these are the scrubs that you wear. These are your veg scrubs. And we almost kind of put that out there as a policy. And then we said, like, stop, wait a minute. This is something we got to check this for legacy thinking here. Like scrubs are normal. We're not normal. What's, how does veg attack this? And we realized that the desire to look professional, professionalism is not a core value at Veg. That sounds crazy, right? It was like, oh my God, get this guy out of here. You know, professionalism is not a core value. It doesn't mean we don't value professionalism, but it's not a core value. Now, avoiding unprofessionalism, that might be a value, meaning don't wear, you know, dirty clothing. Don't wear clothing that doesn't allow you to do your job well. If you have clothing where you're, you know hangs over your sleeves hang over your fingers, so you can't you know put in a catheter or feel a pulse. That's weird. So don't wear unprofessional clothing. But this idea of wear clothing that categorizes you like every other emergency professional. Wear a white coat. Wear scrubs. That is not a veg core value. Now there are some veggies that choose to have professionalism as a value. It's important to the met to the leaders there that their people all wear scrubs or all wear white coats, that can be. It's just not a core value of veg. There will be different flavors. There are some veggies that value, uh, I don't know what the word is, academic, academics, academic, yeah. academics. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so they're super, you know, academic. They like having lots of journal clubs and, you know, everybody's got to quote the author when you before you use any medication. That's a value for them. It's not a core value for veg. Gotcha. So every veg for sure has their own flavors. It's like visiting your relatives. You know, you go to your brother's or sister's house and the house is like eerily similar to yours because you both share an upbringing, but different in its own unique ways. So the core values, they came right at the start. Did you develop the core values right at the start and they've just been the same that's since? Yeah, was that was that clinic clinic number one? Or was that clinic number one or was that clinic number 10? Yeah. And you're like, holy shit, we need to create some right. core values. Great because question. We're, we're, there's different veggie flavors everywhere. Great question. So I actually, I, this is one of a, a lecture that I give on my you know very small lecture circuit. But I, I gave this lecture about discovering core values. Core values are not created, they're discovered. And... Mm. The core values started before Veg One. Our core values really started with me. If you ask my friends, hey, you know, Bessler started a company and uh, their core values are togetherness, openness, heroic helping, and meaningful moments, they would be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's pretty much what Bessler is about. And, and again, it's the reason why I became an emergency vet. I became an emergency vet because I love heroic helping, you know, and I started practicing the way I always practice because I love togetherness and openness. So, that's not a coincidence that those things are what I'm about. It's the way that I practiced and it's the way that our company, you know, so we discovered those things. The way we did it was, you know, a few years into it, we looked back and we said, huh, core values. What are the things that explain the best things about veg? Like what's best about veg and what lays at the core of those things? 
We're like, ah, keeping people and their pets together. It's very easy to see how togetherness is like at the core of that. This like open hospital concept. Well, it's easy to see how openness is at the core of that, right? Going out of our way, that heroic helping is like, heroic helping is is meeting a great need with a great sacrifice. So we like, we'll drive to people's houses to pick them up if they can't get in. They forgot their cat carrier, we'll drive the cat carrier back to their house. Mm. You know, we give shit away for free. Uh, it's one part of the manifesto is give shit away for free. That's part of heroic helping. What's what lays at the core of that is heroic helping. You know, there's a, I'm just not, I'm not going to let that dog die just because mm. the owners don't have money. I'm not going to let it die. Mm. Uh, that's heroic helping. So those are at the core of everything that's great about veg. So we discovered our core values. They existed way before veg. One more question. One more. Well, put, you know, just like, okay. So my feel here is okay. Through what you're saying is that, do you think it was clear? It was you, you were the clear person who was embodying these core values, your actions, the way that your style of medicine, the, the way that your first hospital ran, that kind of thing. So it was you as a, the, the leader of the hospital group that created that flavor or that created those core values that embedded and shared with everyone else around. Yeah, I think, uh, like you said, people like us doing things we do, uh, I'm not alone in having these core values, especially as an ER mm. professional. I would say if you went around and asked most ER professionals, what are they like? They'll tell you. They're like, you know, they're into heroic helping. They're into meaningful moments. A lot of them, I just know when you look at IVEX, IVEX is a much more, you know, it's much more, I've been to IVEX and I've been to the, you know, the radiology and the surgery and internal medicine conferences. IVEX is a lot more fun. Mm, hell yeah. It's all about togetherness. Uh, you're much more likely to find people who are like, you know what? I just like being alone with a glass of wine at home. That's my preferred state. You're not going to find too many of those around like emergency people. They love being together. You know, you have to like being up in people's business if you're going to be doing emergency. And so I think if you went around and you asked like, you know, people who wound up in, it's not, it's not for everybody. Veg is not for everybody. There are people who do not subscribe to these core values. But if you went around and you asked a lot of emergency professionals, you know, what are their core values? I think we, we would end up sharing a lot of core values. It's not, I didn't, you know, like I said, I didn't invent them. I'm just, I'm an ER doctor. I'm an ER person. Mm. That's why I'm the person most likely to do ER in a wacky way. And I'm the person most likely to start the ER company. I'm so curious about your background and the way that you, you run it and, and your core values. So you, you spent time in the military, in the special forces in the military. Is that right, David? I did. To be clear, this is the Israeli uh, special forces, uh, the Israel yep. Defense Forces. And um, they like, isn't they like one of the hardest and most impressive special forces units in the world? Know. Like, I don't know. I think it's pretty impressive. I, uh, I don't know. It's certainly different. Um, I guess from the inside, it's perhaps not as glamorous. I, I, uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of crying. Um, you know, you know, you don't picture that. You don't see that in the, maybe in the movies, but I, <laughs> I ended up there in a very not direct purposeful way because of my religious upbringing. It's kind of a tradition to the year after college to go and study abroad in Israel. And I did that. And coincidentally, my mom died while I was in Israel uh, that year. And just wanted to stay away from home for a little bit. Uh, it was a little bit hard to go back home after that. And so I just stayed for another year, became friends with all of the Israelis there. There's a mandatory service. So they all started getting drafted. You know, I like to joke, maybe it's half joking that to compete for the girls, I had to join the army because uh, everybody else was. And they came home for the weekend with much cooler stories. I was a date farmer <laughs> before I was in the army. I was growing dates. Um, not the, you know, not the, the, the bumble match.com kind, the, uh, yeah. the, the grow on palm trees kind. And, uh, you know, they had 
it was again a, a very exciting thing and so i became an israeli citizen and knowing that i would be drafted and that's how i ended up in the army they all you know it's cool to get into the coolest unit you can and so i i certainly you know tried to get into the coolest unit i could and then i did and then i i asked myself later on like what, what the hell was i thinking uh by that point it was too late to get out so that's how i ended up in the army but you know not through any direct purposeful means it's just um, in my in my mind this might be a misconception but that the military will be quite hierarchical and quite prescriptive and this is how we i mean you look at uniform you talk about the veg culture and that that there's not that prescriptiveness so i i always want to say that if you expose to the military your leadership style might lead towards that more hierarchical structure but it doesn't sound like that what that's what veg is like at all did you take something about your leadership style from that time did you did you try the army approach and was like didn't work or it's something? funny i kind of knew you'd ask about that uh, before I came in here. And I think I had a different answer prepared. I was going to steer it away from my military service and, and more towards, you know, maybe my religious upbringing. But I think if you compare the Israeli military to other militaries, what you'll find is that it's very real uh, and raw. Is it because there's, your Israel is in a place where there's a whole lot of people that really yeah. want to kill them right now? You're serving in the military you're going to end up you know, on guard duty, like, you know, a couple miles from your house. It's a very small country. It's the size of New Jersey with real military threats all around them every day. You know, I think in the end, it's a very safe country, but certainly, you know, you're subjected. You, there's nobody in the country that doesn't know somebody killed by an act of terrorism. Everybody knows somebody. And more people are killed in car accidents every year than in all their wars and terrorist acts combined. But, you know, it's terrorism is that it's meant to inflict terror. And so, you're just aware. So the, the military is a big deal there. Because of that, you know, you start off with this like three-month basic training. But at the end of your three months training, we're very, very rigid. You know, you have your commander, you're saluting, you don't look them in the eye. There's all that same kind of crap as there is in every other military. But at the end of three months, you walk in one day to your tent and you're like, you know, your your commander's kind of sitting there and they usually crack some sort of joke and then everybody laughs and you're like, oh, this is, you know, they break, they call it distance. They break distance one day. And that's because, like, you know, your commander is like, you know, your sister's boyfriend. You know him already. And everybody's kind of in it together. Like, we have a job to do. It's a real job. It has real meaning. You're not, exor- you're not doing exercises just to do exercises. You're doing exercises because you're going to need to be good at them, you know, the next day. You're practicing your discipline because your family and your friend's families depend on it. So it's a very real situation, has a real purpose. And so everybody takes their jobs very, very seriously there. I think that's why there's such a good military because everybody takes it very seriously. But at the same time, there's no BS. I, I do what you tell me to do because if I don't, our families are at risk. I don't need you to pretend to be taller, stronger, anything than I am in order for me to know why I have to listen to you. And so... I think I may have taken that. I Maybe I bring that to emergency. He's like, we do real stuff. That's why I'm drawn to emergency. We do real stuff. Impact every day. Every, every day there's impact, real impact. People come to you when they're, even if it's a non-emergency, broken toenail, but people come to you really worried. There's a real job to be done there, which is like, fix this problem. Make me not worried. Give me peace of mind. And so we have real impact every day. And when people don't do things the way that we found to be best, it's not impactful for us because we don't find our meaning. If I can't give somebody peace of mind, my job is not meaningful. 
So yeah, I think maybe I did take something home from my military service uh, and, and apply it to veg. Can you do that? What's that fighting style they teach in the military? Krav Maga. Oh. Can you do it? Can you do it? I did. I could, I could kill you with one finger. Oh, no, that's, that is like absolutely not true. Krav Maga, actually, what's funny is Krav Maga is literally Hebrew for contact combat or hand-to-hand combat. It doesn't have a long, mysterious history. There's no sacred pool of tears, you know, where, where Master Shifu <laughs> first learned, you know, Kung Fu. There's nothing like that. I would have loved it was Hebrew for kicking ass. <laughs> uh, I don't know how to say kicking ass in Hebrew. <laughs> oh wow I, I hope people get my Kung Fu Panda reference Are they, I, I got it I got my Shifu is a, is, is, a, yeah, is a mentor of mine yeah I have kids exactly <laughs> we don't wash our pits in the sacred pool of tears that was uh, that's a great line my kids <laughs> sacred pool of tears <laughs> okay so okay what were yeah, so you went from one practice to now 25 or so soon to be I don't know 50 maybe what, what, yeah, what's we're going to build what 20 was, this year. That's our goal. Okay. So 45. What, what, what is your biggest leadership challenge? If you're going to think back at a, a transition time or phase or as a shift from one to two, what was a time where you actually were like, whoa, I can't do this. Whoa. But it, it took some kind of mindset shift or something for you to go, I'm not the right mind person now, but to do this, I need change. One of our favorite books is one by Marshall Goldsmith called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. I have those moments every day. Every We're growing so fast that I have to level up every day. Every day I'm like, the skill set that got me to where I am is valuable, but I got a new learn skill. I got to learn new skills. Some of them, some of those skills are exactly the opposite of the skill set that got me here. Mm. Every day I experience that. And I think the biggest challenge that I encounter every step of the way is not getting people to understand our core values and our mission and our vision. It's not to get them to understand that, but it's to believe that our core values, mission, and vision are important. Most people believe that these are like BS things that for some reason, some board at the company decides are, you know, I'll give you a big bonus if you get all your people to be able to recite the mission. It's kind of like a fun trick. What the, my biggest challenge is convincing people that the things that they believe are BS are not BS. They're real and they're most important. Mm. More important than a profit and loss statement. More important than earnings reports, et cetera, et cetera, our mission and vision and core values. Like I said, the most important thing in our company is spike number one, all we do is emergency. It's so important that we, ba- we based our mission statement off of it, helping people and their pets when they need it most. That's the definition of emergency. Ask a second grader, seven-year-old, what is an emergency? Like, what is emergency vets? Like, what do they do? And they will tell you, oh, they help people and their pets when they need it most. It's a definition of emergency. And so explaining to people what those things are, is less of a challenge. The bigger challenge is getting them to believe that they're important and the most important. So what's your formula to that? Because uh, that would help me too, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, I shout it from the rooftops. <laughs> seven times a day every day <laughs> every day like a broken record we have these things vegging with with Bessler every new employee gets on a zoom call with me as part of a group and we hang out like this and we talk about cultural things we talk about this stuff and that's my opportunity to impress upon them like I have just one favor to ask of you 
please believe me when I tell you mission, vision, core values, those are the most important thing. So I have that opportunity. But let's talk about happy team because I, I think clearly the culture and the core values contribute largely to that. But again, the standout thing about Veg from the opposite side of the world is that the enthusiasm and the love that the team seems to have for, for Veg. Um, random question. Have you got any Veg, not you, but anybody have any Veg tattoos yet? Are we at the tattoo uh, level of yes. cult yet? There are Veg tattoos. No, you're kidding. <laughs> they are. Uh, so we have um, the Paw of Life is our, uh, that's, I guess you can see it right here. That's the Paw of Life. Um, yeah. And so we got people that got the paw of life. We have memes, so like any culture, right? So we have veg memes, lots of them. Um, they're on the back of my laptop. I wish I could show you, but that would close my laptop. But, um, you know, one of those things is a rocket ship. We compare veg to a rocket ship from a uh, Sheryl Sandberg quote. If you're offered a seat on a rocket ship, don't ask which seat, just get on. And nice. so we have people with rocket ship tattoos with the, the paw of life, like right in the middle of it. Cool. There are a bunch of veg tattoos. So is that a a, um, a decision from the leadership to go, well, I'll tell you why I asked this. When I ran my clinic, I had this insight at one point that if my team are happy, then the work will be better. Instead of, instead of focusing first on client service or first on excellent medicine, focus on saying, make sure the team's happy and not at least not resentful of what they do or, or what I ask them to do or about their pay packages or their hours or anything like that. And if I have that as a as a core role for me as a leader, then the other things will follow so much easier. Is that something that you guys aim for, or is it just a happy side effect of the way you run the business? Yeah, I, I, right. I actually think it's the opposite. I think that um, people are happy if they can do their job well. Um, okay. I think it's uh, sorry. I'm I'm a voracious reader, so I'll, I'll refer to books a lot. But um, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl is, for me, it was a, a life-altering book. It's all about meaning. He quotes, uh, I sound so pretentious when I say this, he quotes Nietzsche, who says, uh, he who has a why can endure almost anyhow. And our people became emergency professionals, emergency vets, emergency nurses, for a reason. That's the impact on the world they're looking to have. Vet school, tech school, not easy. Being an emergency person is not easy. So clearly they're doing it for some reason. The pay, relatively speaking, is not great. You can make more as an investment banker. It's an easier job, I think. Clearly they're, they're looking for something. And so if they want to be happy, they need to connect with that meaning, with that why. And so another reason why our mission is what it is, is what drives us every day is helping people and their pets when they need it most. It's being a hero, which is why we're not dermatologists. Again, no offense to the dermatologists in the world, but it's just the most direct way to being a hero is by putting yourself in emergencies way. You just put yourself in the way. When people have emergencies, we have a giant emergency sign outside. They're going to come to us. So we're going to get the opportunity to be their hero. If you can allow people to be the hero they want to be, they're going to be happy and satisfied. There's a difference between happiness and joy. Chief Joy Officer is another great book to read, but there's a difference, right? And I don't know which one is which, but one of them is just like, you know, Saw somebody I liked, I'm happy. Get a massage, I'm happy. But that kind of deep satisfaction and fulfillment from connecting with your meaning, maybe that's joy. And, and that's what we aim to give people. I can give them great benefits, give them great pay, give them a great schedule. All that may give them happiness. 
it's not going to give them fulfillment and meaning. So I focus on the fulfillment and meaning, which is why we keep people and their pets together. It's not for the customers. Keep people and their pets together so people can, if, if I fix your dog, right? I had this once. I, 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 I took a course on, on mechanical ventilation, bought a ventilator for this hospital I worked at, came back from the course. My first patient was a Cocker Spaniel, was hit by a car, had pulmonary contusions and needed to go on a ventilator. I put it on a ventilator. It was on the ventilator for like four days. I slept by that thing's side. I blew out both its lungs because I had no idea what I was doing. I learned how to put in chest tubes. And we weaned it off the ventilator. It was a miracle. My first vent case, I actually got off the ventilator, saved its life, and it went home. And I walked it outside to its owner. And she said, quote, thank you, and walked out the door. And I'm like, you have no idea what miracle has just happened here today. You have like no idea. <laughs> she, could, she said, thank you. She was appreciative that I made her dog better, but she didn't understand how I made her dog better. Mm. She didn't understand that I slept by its side. She didn't see my panic when like I blew its lungs out. She didn't see the sweat beating down my face when I put in my first two chest tubes. And so we keep people and their pets together with our veggies so that people can thank them for the actual heroic, amazing work that they do. They have to thank them for that. Thank you for like that miracle that I just saw you do. Not thank you for showing me the x-rays. Thank you for showing me the results of the blood work. But thank you for like finding a teeny tiny vein under fur. Right? Thank you for schlepping my dog around while it pees and poops all over the place for days and days. Thank you for like fixing that beeping pump. It goes off every freaking five minutes. <laughs> thank you for being here around the clock and not peeing when you need to pee for hours. They can thank them for that. They have to see it, right, to be able to thank it. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just thanking them for like a a, a, a distillation of that, not the actual the thing. Find a little bit at the end, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's such a paradigm shift because so many veterinary team members and myself included are completely freaked out by the idea of the clients being in your face the whole time. Mm-hmm. I, I I listen to you and I see it. I get it listening to you, but if you asked me before I started finding out about your guys' approach, would you would you like your clients to watch you the whole time? Like, hell no. I mean, it adds so much stress to my life because I mean, what if I miss that vein or what if something goes wrong or the animal is really stressy? And I, well, put it this way, when we had the first COVID lockdowns and we had to kick clients out, there was a lot of the staff who said it was the happiest time of their life. They're like, oh, no, no clients around, so nice. I could just focus on the animals. How do you get the buy-in from that? And and do you get that the do the team members all feel that it is a massive positive change? Yeah. So it's funny. I you know, you'd expect the answer of me from me being so like, you know, yeah, really sometimes it's actually all the time people love it and won't ever go back. I think if you ask me, it's very much related to our last conversation about connecting people to their meaning, which is this. If you're Superman and you save Earth and save buses that are driving off bridges, I'm sure there are unpleasant aspects of that. I'm sure it is not easy, right, to lift the bus, to fly backwards around the world. I'm sure it's not easy. But the goal is, or the reason why you do it, you live through things that are unpleasant in order to do amazing things, in order to come to the end of your career and say, I had an amazing career. I was a freaking superhero. It's not going to be easy. Of course, it's not easy. And so... Sometimes will you embarrass yourself in front of customers? Sure. Sometimes will you fail in front of customers? Sure. Sometimes will people yell at you for this or that, or will some unpleasant things happen? Absolutely. But it's far outweighed by 
all the other amazing things that happen when you do things in front of customers, all those amazing thank yous, all those moments, just getting to know people on that level is fantastic. So it's, it's the seen, the unseen, being recognized for the generally unseen stuff and seeing the impact of them seeing the unseen. That is the thing that makes us all magical, if that all made sense. It, it does. I mean, we, we think of it as unseen because that's what just that's the way we're brought up. But I think if we erase the entire history of veterinary medicine and pets and started invented pets today and opened up a place called veterinary emergency group. Right. And you had an emergency with your pet. You would walk in. What would you expect to happen? We fill a room with a bunch of people who are experts in pets and pet emergencies. And we walk into a room. What would you expect to happen? You would see somebody. You would walk in. I'm having an emergency with my pet. Right. Somebody that's an expert on pet emergency to walk up to you and say, hi, I'm here to help you with emergency with your pet. Right. I have to do this. I have to do that. This whole like you need to wait outside. You'd be like, where did that come from? Like that's like almost like you have to once you think about it like that, you have to be like, what was the idea like behind separating people from their pets? So unnatural. I came in carrying my pet. Why would I suddenly not be carrying my pet? Yeah, like it's just bizarre that that's normal to us. So I, we think about it that way. Once you do it that, we're like, what were we thinking? This whole like, oh, I'm having an emergency with my pet. No problem. Here's a clipboard. Please, you know, fill that out. Like, really? In what <laughs> world? Like, in what world would we design a business like that today? My pet is dying. People... Please fill out your email and phone number. It's crazy. How I mean, did you hear about us? How, <laughs> how did, did you hear about us? Yeah. You know, do you promise to pay the, you know, 150 bucks before we do anything? Uh, like, no. ugh. Yeah. Do mm-hmm. you? Oh, I, I have a couple questions around about culture, but Jimmy, did you have anything else before I change? No. I, well, well I, I heaps more. Okay. So the question I have is, is kind of like, you have a culture, right? You could like, it, it's, it's, it's the way you speak. It's the actions that you do. It's the way that, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a culture is expressed in your actions and, and understanding and, you know, the communication and the way you feel and connect with everyone else around, right? What do you do with people who come and feel like as if they want that, but then they really just don't want to... I don't know. They don't want to do the hard things. They want. They want. They, they want to eat the magic soup or drink the fucking yep. Kool Aid or whatever it is, right? Exactly. Right, but yeah. And, yeah. and and they're disruptive, but the culture is so powerful in a way, and it's so sacred in a way because mm-hmm. it connects hundreds of people together. But this particular person or these particular people really fight back against it and want to create a shift and change. I yeah, I, I use for me, the phrase I use is, you know, you may have landed on the wrong island. It's like you're floating around at sea desperately hoping to find an island and you find an island and, you know, you, you get off on the beach and you, you kind of crawl to the edge of the jungle and you, you spread apart the leaves and see like a village there. And people are happy and having families and playing and doing all that stuff. And you're like, that's great. And you go out there and you join in and they, they welcome you. And then the human sacrifices start. And you're like, oh, right? You know what I mean? And like you quickly run back to the beach and start swimming. So 
I think there are a lot of people who are looking for a culture. They're looking for a home. What we have at Veg, people desperately want. I mean, how much more could you want like, than like a workplace that you love, that's welcoming, it feels like family, that's supportive, that's helping you grow in every way, that's helping you feel like a hero, that pays you well. Everybody wants that. And so we get a lot of people that come, but core values may not be aligned. Now, if you're a Buddhist monk that landed on that island, not great. And, and so it may not be for you. You may have landed on the wrong island, but like you may be a Viking and, you know, you land on that island and, you know, maybe you're, you're all about human sacrifice and pillaging and maybe, maybe you're all about that and you found your island. And so I, I think there are a lot of people looking for a great place to work. I think that veg is a great place to work, but we're not for everybody. A lot of people don't align. I mean, there are a lot of people who are just not, they're not, we share, we're all about openness. We believe that an open world is a better world. And so when you talk to me about privacy, I think privacy may be like a hoop we have to jump through. It may be something that we have to tolerate for legal reasons, maybe to some degree, maybe ever have everybody has like some right to some degree of privacy that's fine. I just don't think privacy, I think the, a better world, an open world is a better world. That's a radical thing. I got news for you. I, I didn't make that up. I stole it from Facebook. You know, Facebook also has openness as one of their core values. And so when you ask like, you know, ha ha ha, look at Facebook, you think they really believe in, in privacy? Like, no, they don't. They may believe in privacy in the same way we believe in professionalism. I don't want to be unprofessional. They don't want to be violators of privacy. But they believe that an open world is a better world. We believe an open world is a better world. I believe that everything is best, is better done together. Experiences are better had together. Meaningful moments are better had together. And so we open it up. We bring people together. We heroically help them. And that creates meaningful moments. That's our whole thing. That's our mojo. It's not for everybody. Okay. You may have to like run back to the beach and start swimming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, go drown in the water out there, okay? Because if, if you went to 10 different places and you're still trying to find the island, the issue is not the fucking islands. The issue is you, okay? Uh, that could be. I will say, I'm not sure that I agree in veterinary medicine. Unfortunately, veterinary medicine has kind of stuck back in the old days. I think if you if I transported the three of us back a thousand years, I don't think we could find any island. Hmm. We would not fit on any island a thousand years ago, they'd all be about human sacrifice and all sorts of things that we're not into. I think veterinary medicine is kind of stuck in a, a time long ago where most people don't fit today. Uh, there are some, there are some companies that are changing that and, and more people will find a place that they can call home there where they can fit in with their core values. Okay. So you got, how many employees and veterinary professionals do you have? What? Uh, 50? Just, no, under, just under two, just under 2000. <laughs> Okay, 2,000, right. And I get there's a, a hell of a lot of veterinary professionals in the U.S., right? What do you think that large organizations and companies which hire hundreds, if not thousands, of veterinary professionals, what kind of role do you think that they play in shifting the mindset or the culture of the veterinary profession at whole, because the feeling, you know, well, you know, we have this Facebook group in Australia and then, you know, what we hear a lot of is 
this feeling or mindset of burnout, this feeling of mindset that clients don't appreciate us, you know, the feeling of that we don't get acknowledged for the work that we do. But, like, what, what do you feel? Do you feel that there is a role that large veterinary employees, large companies who employ large numbers of veterinary professionals have an important role in trying to sh- create a culture which empowers us as veterinary professionals? So I think they, I, I don't know if it's a responsibility. I don't know if I if responsibility is a law of nature. I guess the best way for me to say it is we train a lot of leaders. Uh, I participate. I love our, we have Veg Academy, which is our leadership training program. And I, I, I love participating in that. One of the biggest lessons that I give in my first lecture, I talk to people about five practices of exemplary leadership. Not important what those five are, but one of them is encourage the heart. And I tell people that there is one practice of exemplary leadership that is your responsibility as a leader, which unfortunately for you is an opportunity to physically actually kill your employees. If you don't encourage the heart of your employees, they will jump out the window. If, if suicide is a problem in veterinary medicine, I think it's because people are not connecting with their meaning. I think they haven't found meaning or simply said life is meaningless. If you don't find meaning in your family and you don't find meaning in your hobbies and you can't find meaning at work, life is meaningless. And I think that's when people kill themselves. And so you need to encourage the heart as a leader. And I think if you're the leader of a company, you need to make sure that your people are finding their meaning at your company. Just try. Try as hard as you can. It is not profits. It is meaning. That's what you should be going for. Everything else follows. Jeff Bezos built an amazing company, not by aiming at profits, but by aiming at meaning. His aim is to be the most customer-centric company in the world. And I think he's dead serious about that. And his meaning is very simple. What does Amazon do? Right? They sell shit online and it comes to your house in two days. That's their meaning. That's why I love Amazon. That's why we all love Amazon for that. And so if you run a big company, what you need to do is make sure that your people find their meaning. My secret is focus. Find people that love something, build a company about that thing. Easy. So you talked about meaning there and the, you know, veterinary professionals want to help and save pets. And for me, it's reconnecting healthy pets back to their owners. And that moment really gives me a lot of meaning. And for me, I would feel that an open hospital would be where I would flourish because I'm a show pony who loves showing off. Exhibitionist. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So a lot of the focus is on the pains of the clients. The 1%, 2% complaints, right? Is, is open hospital something that helps people really see the pleasures of clients and the recognition in a way? Like, so, so, so what I'm trying to get at is, is you can, you can either avoid pain, like complaints and lack of appreciation can be super powerful, if not more powerful than moving towards pleasure, right? And our focus is on pain and avoiding pain. So why don't clients appreciate us? Why don't clients just, you know, 
they should love us. We do good shit. Mm-hmm. But that's not that should not be the focus. The focus should be on how do we show what we do. And is open hospital the, the secret source to the yeah. shifting away from avoiding pain to seeing the pleasure? I People often assume that the spikes, our way of doing things, are designed to bring satisfaction to our customers. That is not historically the way it happened. Historically, the way it happened is I bought my first emergency hospital coming out from the way that emergency had always been done. That hospital had done emergency that way for 25 years before I bought it. I had been doing emergency one way for 15 years before I bought that hospital. And I was at a point where I was thinking, I can't do this anymore. This sucks. Any day I walked into the ER was a great opportunity to get yelled at by customers for them to tell me, you know, all you care about is money. You killed my cat, right? How many times have you heard that? Or people that I work with, your fellow employees you work with saying like, you know, you handled that case wrong. You're an idiot. You don't know what you're doing. That's what a shift was likely to be uh, for me. And so when I had my own hospital, it was my opportunity to make work not suck for me. And so when I had my first client complain to me who said, you did this, you did that, blah, blah, blah. He was totally wrong. And then he said, give me back my money. And I said, here's your money. Done. Protected myself. I made that problem go away so that I didn't jump out a window. When I had somebody complain, like, you killed my dog by, you know, you, you, you made it aspirate charcoal because you... Clearly, you you know, you shoved the charcoal down its throat. I'm like, that's not the way it happened. We gently gave your dog charcoal while it made the biggest crazy mess all over our, like all over our entire treatment area. But you weren't there to see it. And so the next one that came in, I had them there so they could see it. They looked at me and they said, well, I don't know how you guys, how do you expect to get the charcoal on that dog? And I'm like, we're going to do it very slowly and gently, but it's going to be a big mess. And he's like, I get it. It was to protect me and to make my work enjoyable and fulfilling. It wasn't for customers. It just so happened, like, guess what, right? When you try to do things in a way to protect yourself, it's actually the natural way. Don't add on all these unnatural things like separating people from their pets. Walls are unnatural. You need to put up a wall. Walls weren't born there. You need to put up a wall. So we just broke them down the way they were, like the way they naturally started. And then everything else fit into place. So... Lots of business owners who might listen to this will go, yeah, I love all of this. I, I want to do these things. I want to remove those pain points, but I but I do have to make a, a profit. And now David's already said, do shit for free, pay your staff really well, all those sort of things. How does that translate in terms of, in terms of and again, the focus shouldn't be profit, but it's also the hospital's not going to last long if there's no profit. Mm-hmm. Does it work well the way you guys do it? How do you, how do you make it work financially? Yeah. Here's a great assumption. Revenue is set. The gods have decided what your revenue will be. The gods may decide that your revenue will grow. Your top line is the fodder. It's it's your raw materials for what you have to work with to generate profit. Keep your costs as low as possible to generate the highest profit possible. One of those cost centers is staffing salaries, staff costs. So if you want to maximize your profits, since your revenue is set, you need to lower your staffing costs and that will maximize your profit. But here's the dumb assumption if like Einstein was given that, right? Einstein, the genius who came up with relativity. It's not like I'm moving and you're not, right? You're moving and I'm not. 
And so the basic assumption there is that your revenue is set, that the gods have decided what your revenue is. If you pay people more, you will get the best people. More people will come to you. More people will see the value that you're giving them. They will pay you more. They will agree to your treatment plans. Your revenue will go up. And so when we talk about the cost of veterinary medicine, I don't know where we start. It's the most asinine thing when people start talking about veterinary medicine costs too much. Compare, like, what does that even mean? Think about the things that people spend more on than veterinary medicine. Sure, there are people that can't afford certain things. But I will ask you, like, name some things that people spend more money on. But like, compared to what? It's like the theory of relativity. Like, we're compared to what? Something that lives, sleeps in your bed for 15 years, licks your face, gives you more <laughs> joy than almost anything else. I don't know what, how your kids feel about your pets, but like, I don't know what I'm going to do when my dog gets sick. I think about that every day. My kids are going to like be crushed. That dog, our dog Ferris, I mean, he's the, he's the worst. He bites everything. He's and shits all over the place. But like, he's like the most important part of our family. My kids would trade us in either my wife or us. They trade us in for the dog any day. <laughs> Now you tell me if like for that, like spending a few thousand dollars on that dog when it gets sick, like that's crazy. What kind of world do we live in? People spend, it's normal to spend 60, 70, 80, $90,000 on your car, but not normal to spend five, $6,000 on your dog. That's nuts. And so the whole expense of that, that's what's weird to me. So your revenues are not fixed. Make more money by providing more value. You may have a problem that what you do doesn't provide value. What you do is not valuable because they don't see the value or that the perception of the veterinarian is that people haven't seen the value of what I've done in the past. So they don't value what I'm going to do now. Anyway, value is in the eye of the beholder. It is all up to your customers. Your customers decide what your value is. And then you take that on and you believe that. And then that then influences how you come, you know, as a veterinary professional, as you move you, forward, you have control over the value that you provide to your clients. You have control over that. And you just have to make sure that you're providing that value. So hire great fucking people. They will provide that value. They will earn their pay. So we don't believe that revenue is fixed. And so because of that, I don't know what, what is the high end of how much you pay people? I don't know. Is that a question? Is I, no, it's not a question. It's a, it's a rhetorical question. If people come in, it's like they have their, you know. I had a, I had a figure in my head just then. <laughs> but I, but So what, what do you do then, Dave? Because at certain, okay, one of the crux of organizational structure, like the, the buzzword that came around probably about 10 years ago is the, the word that employees hate is that's the, the word of accountability, right? So how do you, let's say you pay them well, how do you hold them accountable to what, like, so what do you hold them by? I don't know. I tell you, to be honest, I haven't heard that employees hate the word accountability. I know that I don't like being held accountable for things that I don't want to do or believe in. Mm -hmm. But the opposite is 100% true. I ask for people to hold me accountable for the things that are important to me. I have people like, wake me up so I don't miss work, right? Yell at me. Let me know if I do something wrong. So accountability has helped you be a better person, better performer, like helped you be the CEO that you are now to create the business that you have, yeah. but as a, as a veteran professional, who's like, all of a sudden I'm getting performance managed and held accountable because I'm not doing this stuff. Does it, is accountability a key thing or do you feel that 
inherently the people that you hire have accountability, have a self-accountability that they, they would just naturally they, perform well. I think any person that is uh, self-aware, realistic, sane, if there's something that they're telling you they want to do and you're holding them accountable for doing those things, they should accept that. You cannot join veg and not expect to have to help people and their pets when they need it most and not expect it's on our walls. You have to sit on the floor. You have to find a way to say yes. You have to keep people and their pets together. So if I'm holding you accountable for keeping people and their pets together, you should want that. Like what, what did you expect would happen here? We have, we have a meme, uh, which is don't get mad at Donkey Kong. I don't know if you ever played Donkey Kong. Maybe I'm showing my age here, right? No, no, I get it. <laughs> I, I comes from a time I was, I was at an arcade when I was a kid and I saw these teenagers playing Donkey Kong. And at one point, one of the teenagers was kicking the crap out of the machine, shaking it and kicking it and punching it, getting mad at Donkey Kong for what was he doing? He was throwing barrels at him. Like you signed up for the game. You paid him a quarter to do that. You asked him to do that. Now you're getting mad when he does. <laughs> yeah. So this is what you signed up for. The problem may be that you don't, you know, number you maybe have you know anger management issues. Maybe you're not self-aware. Maybe you've got to get real. That may be the problem. But the arrangement is perfectly sane. You signed up for this. We're telling you exactly what you're signing up for. Okay. So it's being it's the clear expectation at the start. It's the seven pillars. Um, and this is the, this is what you're signing on the dotted line, but, but, uh, this is it. The seven plus two, right? Yeah. And that's the accountability and it's clear from the start. Clear as day, crystal clear what you need to do to be a successful veggie. Not everybody can do it. Some people want to desperately. Mm. They're just mm. not able to. Yes. Just not able to. I, I'll tell you something else. I mean, you know, working emergency is very hard. To put their flame out in a ceremony and off and the when they, they when go. they're when they're voted off the island, <laughs> um, yeah, we uh, I'm trying to remember the quote. A great book, No Rules Rules. The um, yeah, uh, Netflix uh, book, Reed Hastings, I think. And the quote is: "Adequate performance gets a generous severance," and they mean it literally. Generous severance. They give people a generous severance. We are very compassionate with people. We pay well. We very, very compassionately, kindly show you the door. We give people opportunities. First of all, we make it crystal clear. And then we give people opportunities. I mean, if we fail anywhere, it's maybe maybe we're not clear enough with our feedback. You know, we strive to do that so that if you're not doing things the veg way, but we hold people accountable and, and they're grateful. And the people who do the veg way for real veggies and they do it, like they love it. And they're so thankful. Every day, they're thankful for veg. They thank me for building the company. I, I, did, I didn't do it. Lots of people built the company, but they're thankful for veg existing because it gave them a place where they can realize their potential, where they can feel fulfilled and happy and have meaningful work. Man, I want to come see this for myself once we're allowed to travel. I was about to say. <laughs> David, let's, we've got an app up, man. I could talk to you forever. This is so cool, but... Was there anything else? Any other key messages that you wanted to share? Or um, no, I think you got it all. I am actually I'm very thankful for that for the Seth Godin quote. Um, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you some of his stuff if you haven't come across his podcast and some of his books. He's it's amazing. Well, it's all about culture. He's a marketer by name, but it's not about market. It's about I will. Uh, I'm right. gonna order that right now. I'll send you a couple of things on that topic of podcasts. Are you a podcast listener, David? 
I yes, I I I'm a I'm a bigger reader than I am a podcast listener, but I definitely listen to some podcasts and I have some favorites. Okay, go. What's your favorite? Uh, number one is one called Ninety Nine Percent Invisible, mm-hmm. hosted by Roman Mars. I feel like the NPR family kind of thing, and it's really about it's about design, but I would say it's about aesthetics, and not just physical aesthetics, but they just talk about the beauty in anything in life. They'll take anything from you know the world's largest ball of yarn to the history of children's clothing, and they'll just find the beautiful connections between uh, between all the elements of this of those stories. It's just a it's a beautiful podcast. It's just all about I would say aesthetics. So that's that's yeah. my favorite. It's also a beautifully produced podcast. I like listening it to is it just beautifully produced. to appreciate how they do the podcast. Yeah, it is. It really <laughs> the is. aesthetics of podcasting. That's what Hubert's going in the middle. I, I will say one thing. If I ever met Roman Mars, I would tell him that his voice is beautiful. I, I love listening to it. He speaks very quietly. And I often have to like really turn off my radio, especially when I'm in the car, really turn it up to hear. But um, uh, my next favorite podcast is How I Built This, another NPR podcast hosted by uh, Guy Raz, I believe is his name. Yeah. And it's just the stories of founders and the companies they built. I, I enjoy it because I, I often find connections between the, their stories and, and our story at Veg. And a lot of them are, are fun. They're real. All these stories are, you know, all these companies started small and had normal human being founders. And it's really amazing to hear the real and human sides of their stories. Good choices there. And then our very last wrap-up question. I normally say you're at a conference, but let's say all the veterinary new grads of the world are now working for Veg. <laughs> and it's, it's day one of work. So you mean it's 2023? And... That's what you mean? And you've got to do the vegging with David Bessler. What is the one message that you want to give them? The one message I would give them is the more spiritual aspects of business, like I mentioned, mission, vision, core values. Those are the most important parts of business. It's not about the numbers. It's the more spiritual side of business that leads to success and has led to Veg's success. I would ask them to just give that thought a chance, dive deep into it. And they'll find that it's true and they'll be able to make the most of their career at Veg. David, thank you. Thank you so much you for so your much. time. Yeah. Thank you too. This is, uh, this is great. Great conversations. Um, I think, you know, they, like timing is important. They say, I think I should have all my podcasts up at night. It's nighttime here. It's just like a nice chillax. I should have like a bottle of wine. Um, oh, we usually it, do. We usually do. <laughs> well, <laughs> actually, I, it's nine o'clock in the morning here, and I, this is on my third beer at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> have you been to Australia, David? I have not. I'm dying to go. So you let me know uh, when I'm invited and can get through your borders. Do you know this product? Vegemite. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I, if I, I will, I'll buy some Vegemite. See if I can get into it. I think Americans would try Vegemite and would be like disgusted for the most part. Yeah, you probably would. I'll send you a bottle. Yeah, Vegemite should be like, I guess, Veg Australia. Um, that'll be like our official food of Veg Australia. It's this, yeah. uh, definitely a, some sort of a co-branding, partnering opportunity. Our goal here at the Vet Belt is to have conversations 
like the one you've just listened to, it will give you inspiration and fresh ideas on how to create a thriving and happy career and life as a vet. You'll know by now that our focus is on the life skills that we need to navigate this challenging and rewarding profession of ours. But there's something that I've realized over the last few years of exploring ways to increase enjoyment of the job. That is, that the vets who are confident in their skills and knowledge are, as a whole, more satisfied with their careers. Which makes sense. When you feel rusty or uncertain in your knowledge, it's very easy for those imposter feelings to sneak in. I don't know enough. Am I good enough? Conversely, we know that feelings of growth and mastery are some of the greatest predictors of a happy career. Which is why we created the VetVault Clinical Podcast. Three highly practical episodes every week. Conversations, not lectures, with world-class specialists. Tips, updates, real insights, not textbook theory. Short enough to listen to on your drive to work, but with enough content to ensure that you'll be a little bit better at your job than you were before you listened. Join us on our journey to better by trying out our free two-week trial at vvn.supercast.tech.